Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15, 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another Forza Italian football podcast. It's going to be a little bit more chaotic than even usual this week. Probably I'm your usual host, Connor Clancy. I'm joined by Kev Pugzelski. Kev, are you quite happy at the moment that you've managed to avoid the I'd hate to be a Liverpool fan jokes? Uh, yeah, I, I hadn't really contemplated that, actually. But um, yes, um, I, I, I take everything with a pinch of salt. Uh, I'm lucky to be a match going red when uh, we're allowed in. Right. Well, I think we we don't need to go down any um, Premier League or even League of Ireland rabbit holes this week, do we? I think we've got plenty on our Serie A plates to keep us occupied for the duration of this podcast, however long it may be. And boy, it may be long. Uh, We are also joined by Vito Doria, and I'm very happy to see you, Vito. How are you? Uh, Look, I'm fine. Um, Yeah, a bit of a bunch of mixed emotions over the last few days. But, uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, been a very controversial, chaotic, yet exciting in its own way, Serie A and even European football in general. So, yeah, be worth uh, checking it out. It's rare that we're in a position like this, guys, because I both know exactly where we have to start, but have no idea how we're actually going to start it. Because, I mean, you could have looked at the fixtures last weekend. In fact, we did when we planned the recording time of this podcast and we said, all right, we'll we'll go live immediately after Juve Napoli because that's the big game next week. It, it was the big game this weekend it didn't happen but it's still stealing all of the headlines and I think it's only right to to attempt to go through the timeline of what happened so 
Juve Napoli was due to kick off at quarter to nine local time this Sunday evening um, in Turin. Napoli, of course, played their last game in Serie A against Genoa last weekend. They won by a huge scoreline, if you remember us discussing that last weekend. But since Genoa have confirmed 14 positive cases of the coronavirus, Napoli went on to record two positive cases of the coronavirus. Protocol says that if there are 13 fit available players, one of them is a goalkeeper, that the game must go ahead as planned. So on the face of it, Napoli-Juve was going to go ahead as planned. No problems there. Um, It should be noted that Genoa's game against Torino was postponed for this weekend. Napoli arrived at the airport on Saturday evening to take their flight from Naples up to Turin and were told, no, you're not going anywhere. So Napoli returned and had to start self-isolating. And then within about 45 minutes, it seemed, of Napoli's flight being grounded, um, Juventus came out and said, well, we're taken to the pitch tomorrow night to play our Serie A fixture as planned as is the protocol. Um, But then, as it's Italian football, a big debate kicked off. A lot of people were saying that Napoli weren't actually told they couldn't travel. Napoli were told that maybe they shouldn't travel. So the ASL, which is the public health department in Naples, had to come out on Sunday and clarify that they had told Napoli it was not safe to travel and that they could not do so. And this is where the debate kicks off, right? Juve, the referees, showed up at the Juventus Stadium on Sunday evening, went out onto the pitch. The referee has since reported the irregularity of the match, which means that the decision will now go over to the sports judge, probably Tuesday, I think, who will decide, one, if Juve are awarded a 3-0 walkover, and two, if Napoli, for not showing up for the match, will be deducted a point. Kev, where do we start? Where where do we start? Um, I think nobody could have not seen this coming. You know, last last season was a a means to an end. Um, you know, there will have been extreme focus from clubs, players, officials. You know about getting the season done. Uh, you know, and people were maybe more proactive with keeping themselves safe. Uh, you you know, everybody across all. Uh, industry sectors, countries uh, are trying to now live with uh, the situation that we have, but it does mean sort of a, a freer movement of individuals between, uh, you know, social occasions and things. So, in an ideal world, the 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 league would have maybe had stricter protocols for if you had cases. I know we've got this UEFA protocol about thirteen healthy players. Um, but when you've got people crossing over local boundaries and even, I think, even advice on whether you should travel, you know, it shouldn't be a should or could, you know, decision on whether you should travel. And that should supersede what the what the league does. I think allowing the officials to go to the stadium tonight and allow Juve to post a team sheet and the players to travel, you know, the, the, the bus turn up or whatever, it actually just caused more confusion. Whereas as soon as Napoli were not allowed out of Naples or even advised not to leave Naples, uh, the league could have postponed the game. You know, we got quite an early call on Genoa-Torino this weekend. 
uh, and that would have at least avoided some of this confusion and also the sort of suggestion that maybe which comes up a lot that you they get more favorable opinions um so yeah i mean it could have all been avoided if we'd had just some just some clarity provided from the league that didn't allow for you know juve to position themselves as if they were there and ready to, to face napoli you're right to bring up the the genoa situation because it is worth noting that at the time of genoa napoli last weekend genoa had two positive cases and i think it was within two days of the game that shot up to 14 so that's something that has to be considered right napoli had two positive cases who knows they were they were planning on coming up to Turin and taking more tests. Maybe they would have had 14 cases by then. They were told not to travel. Maybe it's a problem with um, the Italian language, actually, because modal verbs don't really exist as much. I mean, could, should, must, have to. They're all kind of the same thing here. So maybe it's just a lack of clarity on that part. But I don't know, Vito, where are we pointing fingers? Because it is... Obviously, this is the world of football, and more so than that, it's the within the rivalry of Juve Napoli. So people are going to get angry. People are going to point fingers in the direction that they've always pointed those fingers. But it's got to fall back on Serie A, right? Once Napoli were told not to leave Campania, Serie A should have, rather than say the game is going to go ahead as planned, they should have said, we'll find a new date for this game to be played. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with that. Uh, there has been a lot of banter, especially on social media, about who's to blame for this. There's a lot of he said, she said. And uh, in general, there's been a great lack of clarity about what's going on. So to summarise things how you did at the start of this pod, I think, uh, you know, there's only so much uh, you can do and everybody else can do. Ultimately, my blame would not be towards the clubs. Uh, you can blame De Laurentiis all you want, or you can blame Agnelli all you want. But as far as I'm concerned, I think the real culprits are the Lega Serie A. And uh, I think uh, the president, Paolo Dalpino, should have handled this situation much better. Uh, the Napoli-Genoa game was, for some reason, scheduled three hours later than expected last week. And as far as I'm concerned, that should not have been uh, post... Um, that should not have been played in the first place. As much as I like to see Genoa lose 6-0, we got to understand these are some unique circumstances and that game should not have been played. Now we're s slowly seeing a domino effect and uh, uh, things could have been a lot worse if Napoli were indeed allowed to travel to Turin, play the game, and then also with an international break coming up, then what happens if uh, the Juve players had been infected? Because Bonucci and Chiellini have been caught up to the Italy squad, so you don't want it to impact on international fixtures too. There are so many hypotheticals to consider, at least on our end, and I don't think Paolo Dalpino has considered it. Uh, before I pass it back to you, Connor, or if Kev wants to say his piece, uh, a while back, the inter-president Stephen Zhang referred to Dalpino as a clown. So if he was a clown back then for the initial whole handling of the pandemic in Serie A, then I wonder what other people have uh, 
been thinking about Dalpino and the rest of the Lega Serie in regards to this situation? I don't think it's out of order to say something like that. You know, I think the whole thing, um, friend of the, the podcast, Daniela Matar, and, and myself both used the word farcical on Twitter today, Kevin. Is there any other way to describe it? No, no, not really. And I think um, if I gave any credit to the to the league when Zhang made his comments earlier, uh, or well, it's earlier or later in, in last season, it's that you were trying to work with the situation as it was kind of unfolding. Um, but but this is one of those things where I think there should have been protocols put in place for for we we tried to squeeze or you know across Europe we're trying to squeeze in European competition league systems expecting people to travel expecting there to be a Euros at the end of this season and, and that's that's what I see is driving this you know that's why there was probably a reluctance to call the games off to call them early because where you squeeze them back into the to the rest of the sort of the, the, the league season um there I say they're thinking about the money element um but yeah fast calls about right is this a case that the, the whole thing could just collapse in on itself now i mean the the very idea that there's an international break now seems so out of touch with what's happening that I cannot find the words in me to describe it. The fact that there's this second wave across Europe and now countries where things are relatively stable are having residents fly all over the world, not just all over Europe, all over the world to play for their national teams and be in contact with people who have come from all over the world and they're just going to travel back. I just don't I don't understand how European competitions are going to happen this season, to be honest with you. And I know we're just days after the, the Champions League and Europa League group stage draws. Um, but the international football, why is that happening? Oh, well, I think we shouldn't get away, you know, before we sort of con- condemn sort of European football, international football, whatever. There are other industries where we're allowing the free movement of, of people, probably more so than we should in this current situation. And, you know, the money that people are losing, you know, and the livelihoods of the people working in these other industries, there is a need to get them moving in some form. Um, but I kind of think this goes back to why we tried to get all of these European leagues finished in a sort of a condensed period last season where we could have probably anticipated that this season was going to, to to hit these these interruptions and it probably would have been better to maybe play games at two weekly intervals if it needed it you know scrap international football so adequate testing could take place because we've ended up having a really shortened 2019-20 season and now we're trying to sort of rush for a 2021 with, you know, believing that nothing's going to go wrong. But international football should have been off of the table completely. But it, it's too much of a, a money spinner for UEFA. I agree. I, I can I can come to terms with 
club football continuing to exist. But I do not, and I love international football. I'm not one of these people who hates it like you, Kev. But I do not think that international football should be happening this year. Scrap the Euros. I know that the Nations League is a thing, but just scrap it. They only invented it two years ago. Scrap it for a year. Push the Euros back. Just say that this Euros just isn't going to happen. One country is not going to be financially hit like it would in previous years. This is spread out across the whole of the continent. So a lot of different countries are taking hits. We are also approaching a World Cup in the middle of the majority <laughs> of league seasons. That you know, It's going to disrupt the majority of European leagues. So I'm not saying it was a, an opportunity to restructure when we play those leagues, but they could have spread two seasons over a, a, a longer period to just get us into that, that, that season when we're going to have leagues stopping in, I think the World Cup of 2022 starts in, in early November. You know, because otherwise we, we're going to hit another situation where we're trying to squeeze stuff into there. So it wasn't as if there was there was something that was even planned that we knew we were going to have to move to. But they just they didn't. They just wanted to continue with trying to get this season finished again by May so we could have the Euro, whatever we're going to call them, 2020 plus one. Vita? Uh, look, if it was up to me... I'd scrap the Nations League. Mm. Um, never been a real fan of it, but uh, in general, uh, I've been falling out of love out of uh, international football for some time. So, yeah, if that if they could have at least just scrapped the Nations League, don't worry about friendlies. Nearly all, Kev, and nearly nearly all the uh, nearly all the qualifying spots for the Euros have been sorted. Um, probably just play those playoffs as necessary just to fill up the quota. And then if we really need to have a European Championship next year, then just sort out that spot and that's it. But uh, certainly, I think there is that, you know, concern that we could be cramming in far too many fixtures at once. I know we've kind of, we kind of sort of rolled on and sort of blamed UEFA for still trying to sort of squeeze in international football. If we go back to the whole Juve Napoli thing for a moment, it would have been nice to have seen, and I, got, I know this is Napoli Juve, it's not other clubs. It would have been nice to have seen some solidarity between the, the you know, the owners, whatever we call them, you know, whoever it is in power at the clubs, for them to say we're not, you know, for Juve to say we're not playing. You know, to say no, we don't agree with this. You know, they've been told not. We're taking the safety of our players. Uh, you know, we're not we're not going through this sort of charade of we're going to drive the bus there and, and that, you know, because they knew with good enough time that they could have leveraged the power that they have to just get the game postponed early. Yeah, I think that's what the, just the last thing we will say about it is the fact that did Juventus have to insist that they were going to show up because a lot of people, Juve are easy targets, right? People don't need much of an excuse to call Juve every name under the sun. And I think the timing of their announcement last night was, I mean, maybe misguided is a word you could use to describe it. They probably didn't need to insist on it. And Yelly came out this evening and kept saying, the protocol was clear, the protocol was clear, we followed it to the letter. Did they just need to 
say, look, Napoli can't travel. We're happy to rearrange this game. Agnelli said that De Laurentiis messaged them asking to postpone it. Agnelli said they were going to follow the protocol. Is there something on... Should there be some kind of... Not obligation, maybe a moral obligation on Juve Vito to find some agreement with Napoli to, to have this game played normally at another time? It would have been great if there was a moral obligation and that... Uh... If there was a bit more rational decision making, that uh, Yorba should analyse the situation, the circumstances, and say we'll reschedule the game. Um, you know, I'm probably taking a risk here and probably trigger a few people. But if um, if going on like this means they're that adamant that they had to get the three points, and the situation stands, I think it's just very, very petty, and uh, you know, it just. You know, you get that impression that, uh, you know, Juve, they just seem so eager just to get the points this way and they don't want to face Napoli on the pitch under better circumstances. So I think uh, the way this whole situation has gone on, I think it's uh, absurd. And uh, we would not have seen this outside of Italy or at least in other major European leagues. So I think it's a bad look. It certainly enhances the narrative and it does allow more agendas to be pushed but uh, I don't think uh, Juve and the Lega Serie A have really done themselves many favours and you know anyone blaming Napoli for this okay I'm not going to say they're totally in innocent but when you consider that the ASL RSL have stopped them from leaving Naples I mean uh, I think sometimes you need a bit of common sense and unfortunately we haven't seen a lot of it in regards to this particular scenario. Now, just to wrap up then, we, sh we should be clear that the, nothing has been decided on yet, but the likelihood is that if protocol is followed, Juve will be handed a 3-0 win and Napoli could very well be hit with a one-point deduction. Um, though don't expect that to be straightforward either. We are living in Italy, we are dealing with Aurelio De Laurentiis, that will go to court and could drag on for not only weeks or months, for years to come. Kev, you're laughing. Yeah, I'm just thinking. Um, I assume that if Juve are afforded the win, that Ronaldo will claim the hat-trick. Probably, probably. Just to, I mean, just to leave on a, on a lighter note. Given how Legacy invented an award to give him despite him not deserving it in his first campaign. I wouldn't be surprised if they added it onto his goals tally either themselves. But um, there are, as you'd expect, fans in Naples taking it as well as you'd expect. There have been some banners uh, put up outside the Stadio San Paolo. The worst, or the first, says, the worst virus is called Juventus. And the second is, given a 3-0 win, you are a cancer. No vaccine exists. Um, so read into that what you will. Finally, guys, we've made it through. I think that might be the longest we've ever spent on anything on this podcast. And it was to talk about a match wherein there wasn't the ball kicked. So <laughs> that probably says a lot about how we interpret football. But there you go. Anyway, on to whatever is next. And to be honest with you guys, I can't really remember what that was supposed to be. But we do have Lazio and Inter. They played this uh, this Sunday afternoon at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome. It finished Lazio 1, Inter 1. Um, 
I was at the Tardini, so all I've seen from this is highlights, and it seemed like there was a lot of fun here. Vito, Antonio Conte said afterwards that a draw isn't the end of the world for Inter, and I mean, going away to Lazio, I suppose he's right. Yeah, I agree with that assessment. Having said that, I reckon it's quite surprising that Conte was a bit mellow. Usually he'd, uh, you'd think he would kick up a stink somehow over even a draw. He'd blame the club again for not buying them enough players, although they've spent significantly or recruited significantly. So, it, yeah, it's a bit of a surprising reaction. But in reality, I don't think there's too much to complain about. Uh, Look, Inter did play better. I think the overall play was better than Lazio's. And unfortunately for Lazio, they had to deal with a few injuries before halftime. Simone Inzaghi made two subs in the first half and then had to bring on Marco Parolo as a makeshift defender at halftime. So they had it pretty tough. And you'd think that maybe Inter could have killed off the game, but... Uh, once uh, Sergei Malinkovic-Savic got the equaliser, and to be fair, he wasn't having a good game before that, um, they looked galvanised for quite a bit, Lazio, and I reckon they probably had enough chances to win it. Even uh, Luis Alberto in particular, I think, probably could have uh, won himself, but Handanovic uh, uh, was alert to save some of his chances, and then others uh, weren't able to hit the target. There was even one solo run from the Spaniard, that had a resulted in a shot blocked, but um, yeah, interesting all around. But uh, again, uh, the real drama came from the sendings off. Yeah, there were there were two sendings off, which you don't often see. And I mean, Chiro Mobile got the first on the 69th minute with the score at one each, and Lazio hadn't been doing too badly before that. And I think it was just a moment of absolute stupidity. From Immobile, Kev. Yeah, I think you you take it in the context of modern football because it wasn't it, it wasn't quite a you know a blow to the face that he landed. You know, it's one of those it's one of those where now you see any sort of time your your hands are raised and um, maybe because of the age that I am or how I maybe romanticise a, a former era. You'd like you'd like to see people get sent off for actually making contact, you know, full contact. If we say, um, what's happening to the FIF team this weekend? You and Alistair McKenzie have both I turned into Roy Keane. Yeah, I, I I did see Alistair's tweet. I kind of, uh, I was going to say agree with it, but that's probably not right on a on a moral level. Um, I think the histrionics in football have obviously been going on for for, for decades. Um, is is I I think actually when I I sort of watch the when I watch the game, I kind of feel less that it affects this result, but it less it affects any subsequent games that Immobile's um, suspended for, because actually Lazio got a point from this. They weren't they weren't great. Um, like Vito, I was surprised that Conte wasn't more upset because Inter controlled a lot of that game, and left the Cherby virtually unmarked to put the crossover for Milinkovic Savage. And the stupidity isn't what he's done in the heat at the moment in this game, but actually the fact that it affects more than one fixture when Immobile's going to be out and he's their main goal scoring for it. Uh, you'd imagine it will be a three-game ban, which means he will miss La- Sampdoria away, La- Bologna. At- Why have I said they're playing Lazio? 
He'll miss Sampdoria away, Bologna at home, and Torino away, bringing them back in time um, for Juventus at home. But arguably, it's even more stupid that then Sensi goes and raises his hands to an opposition player because, again, whether this is an unwritten rule or something that just happens... But the referee, maybe if he thinks he's being, you know, shown a red, because because there was an argument that Vidal pushing Immobile to the floor and you know his involvement could have could have yielded a, a red card for him. Um, that you know you're sort of you're not walking a tightrope. It's just that referees tend to sort of level things up. They you know maybe a little less lenient for things that then the opposition do. Um, yeah, and you know who Inter have next. No, no, no. Oh, no, wait there. No, no the Milan, Milan derby's on the 27th, isn't it? Milan derby is next. It's on the 17th. Oh, it is next. Oh, okay, so maybe it's a Genoa derby It's on the 27th. I think that is correct. I think that is correct. But Vito will know better than us. But we're not talking about either of the Genovese clubs just yet, Vito. I'm sorry. We will get there. But um, another friend of the podcast is, is good old Nima on, on Twitter. And he was having, I think it's fair to say, um, an internal crisis during this game because even Perisic was playing at left wing back, it seemed, despite Conte initially decided that he didn't want Perisic because he couldn't play at left wing back. So he sent him to Bayern Munich where he didn't play one minute as a left wing back. And then Conte went and signed Ashley Young, Alexander Kolarov, has Danilo D'Ambrosio on the bench and decided to play... Perisic as a left wing back. Vito, can you get your head around this? Nope. Um, <laughs> all right. On to not at now. all. <laughs> Go on. Should I just leave it at that? <laughs> no, please don't. Uh, I remember when Conte first came to the club last year, he was trialling Perisic as a left wing back just in those uh, pre-season friendlies, and you could really see then that Perisic was not suited to that role and uh, now he's back from Bayern Munich who you know wanted to buy him permanently but into uh, so adamant that they need to make some money from sell from him I think Inter should have just taken the money and just leave it at that but uh, going back to the performance itself I really believe that uh Perisic clearly shows that he's not up to it for that role. He might have been involved in the goal inter scored through Lautaro Martinez, but he has to shoulder the blame for Milinkovic Savage getting that equaliser. He just, uh, the Serbian just clearly out jumps Perisic and uh, um, he really looked uh, overwhelmed. So um, if this keeps going on and uh, the transfer window is about to close, um, yeah, it might be a bit embarrassing, especially when inside defending and they cop a goal from the left. Can I can I just say something on the wing back situation? Please. Um, I don't I don't know if either of you felt the same, but um, when Radu pulled up with what looked like a hamstring injury, um, I don't know if I, I'm probably doing him a disservice saying that he was faking it, but I don't think I've ever seen a man so happy for his hamstring to go. Because he was clearly with the speed of Hakimi, and 
it was chasing a ball down with Hakimi when Radu sort of got the ball out of play and then sort of his hamstring went. And I think um, being much the older man was um, maybe <laughs> a, a little pleased that it, that was the end of his afternoon. Kev, why does Antonio Conte coach? He, he clear, it clearly makes him miserable. Well, we all do things in life that make us miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to. Uh, <laughs> no, oh yeah. Uh, I don't know. What else is he going to do with his life? Is he going to open a hair salon in Turin or start doing um, toupees uh, out of... <laughs> 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 oh. just, just, he's got enough money. Go have some time off. Have a little break. Come back in a couple of years and see what you think then. He never stops complaining. And I, I think there's something about doing a job that is, is stressful because it then pushes you. You know, it pushes your boundaries of what you can you can achieve as opposed to just maybe doing something that's going through the motions, maybe being a you know, being a coach for sort of twenty years after you're playing a career, you know, a assistant coach or a physiotherapist or, you know, whatever. I don't know. Conte's just exhausted me to the point where I actively try to avoid reading things that he said because you can predict it he's insufferable absolutely insufferable and I genuinely do feel a bit of sympathy for Inter fans who have to put up with that all of the time drives me mad absolutely mad anyway um we'll move on because there is something to be happy about in Serie A this week. And I'm not just saying that because of the predictable reasons. But Atalanta, oh my goodness, Vito. They won 4-2 and 4-1 in their first two games of the season. And they decided in their third that that wasn't quite enough. They returned to Bergamo. Fans were back in the stadium. And they decided to score five today. They beat Cagliari 5-2. And they, I mean... They just keep doing what they do. Oh, it was uh, unbelievable. I felt the first half was a bit of a training exercise in a way, but Ladea were just so clinical. And then in the second half, Kayeri did try to make a game of it, and uh, they had a few attacks of their own and didn't look too bad. But it must be said that Alessio Cranio, who has been included in the late Italy squad, he provided, I mean, he prevented, sorry, uh, the Isolani from receiving an absolute humiliation, really. There are games where I've seen in general and other games where we can talk about Atalanta specifically, where if it wasn't for the goalkeeper, Atalanta would have had at least 10. Uh, I remember it was either last season or the season before, actually, uh, Handanovic stopped Inter from losing more than 4-1. And in this case, Cranio made some phenomenal saves in that second half. But, uh, yeah. Uh, Atalanta still were able to get one more goal in that second half. Uh, Lammers coming on as a sub, scored a lovely solo goal. Mm. And Malinovsky and Hatzabur probably should have added to the score, but if it wasn't for the poor shooting or just timing, they probably would have added further gloss to the score. But, yeah, it's really unbelievable how we've seen this uh, Ladea team just dismantle opponents. And I saw an article that you posted on the website that uh, Atalanta, the first team 
since Real Madrid in 87-88 in all the top five leagues to have scored at least four goals in the first three games. So uh, that's an incredible achievement. And uh, just to put a few things in perspective, um, Real Madrid could only beat Napoli 2-0. So maybe that loss for Maradona's men wasn't so bad. And then the following season, Real Madrid did make the semi-finals of the Champions League and they got smashed by AC Milan 5-0. So a bit of a history <laughs> lesson there. So we'll see how things go. There you go. Uh, but... But At least there's some entertainment. That season, Real Madrid won the Spanish Championship. They got to the semi-finals of the European Cup and the semi-finals of the Copa del Rey. So, if anyone in Bergamo is listening, um, you're going to have some fun this season, it seems. But, Kev, we've got to talk about the same guy again because he did it again. Papu Gomez. I mean, he was our player of the week for week two, which happened before week one because this is Italian football. And, that's how the fixtures worked. And then he, you could argue, should have been the player of the week in week two, but you decided to give it to someone else instead. And he's a contender for week three. Yeah, I felt, I felt conflicted after giving um, Papu player of the week for week two. Um, but, but you'd arguably say that the uh, Spezia result over Udinese was more important to them so I don't feel too bad but yeah he's certainly a um, certainly a contender for this week and uh, it, it's hard when you sort of look at a result at, at like 5-2 against Cagliari and deem it um, not flattering enough for them that's not <laughs> the word I'm looking for but you know I, and I put out on Twitter you know we had the we had the um, Champions League draw earlier or the end back end of last week and as a as a, as a Liverpool fan, uh, just severely disappointed that I won't be watching Papu Gomez in this sort of run of form and Atalanta because I last them saw them live with you, which was some time ago, and, and the team are just an absolute breath of fresh air in. In Europe, you know, we're not just talking Italy, but the way they go and attack teams and they just blew Cagliari away. And it's, you know, I don't want to blow too much um, up your uh, direction. But, but, uh, but yeah, you know, absolute wonderful side, joy to watch. And Papu, at the age that he is, it's just a shame that we're not going to have him for longer. So let me get this right. The last time you saw Atalanta live was in 2013. I think so. I don't think I've seen them live, even away from... It was certainly my last trip to Bergamo, where wow. I could get in. Um, and I don't think I've seen them on my other jaunts to Italy. That was the first time we oh. ever met. It was. It was a rough morning, that, wasn't it? And you've regretted it ever since. Um, I haven't. I regretted it for about four years, and I've, then I unregretted it for the last three. But that, that morning was particularly tough, I remember. But, you know, I think they're going to give that Champions League group they've got, I think they'll give that a, that, that a good go. I think so too, but I'm also dreading it because, I mean, Liverpool could easily pump them, you know, because it's just the way it happens. But that, that game could end 7-2 to either team and it wouldn't be that much of a surprise. Do you know? It, it genuinely yeah. wouldn't be a big shock either way. But... Somewhat, I, I do think we need to speak about the, the new arrivals, maybe particularly um, Sam Lammers, because Vita touched on it. He's come in from PSV and he scored what was 
a beautiful goal. Quick footwork, went left, shifted back onto his right. The defender fell over. Uh, ben Hughes said he was sat down, which was quite nice. And then it was a good finish at the end of that veto. And he's someone that is going to be second or third string this season, but looks like he has a bit to offer. Yeah, it certainly does look that way. And uh, hopefully for Atalanta's sake, they don't uh, have some injury issues regarding the strikers some down, sometime down the track. But, uh, you know, even if something did happen to Duvan Zapata or Luis Muriel, uh, Sam Lammers definitely looks like he's a more than adequate replacement. And, uh, you know, for a guy that looks, you know, he looks quite tall. Um, he displayed he displayed some excellent ball control there. So, yeah, I think it's uh, very positive to see that when your subs can come on and do something, and we saw that last season with Malinowski and Muriel being impact subs, uh, I think that's uh, a very positive thing for Gasparini and that uh, he doesn't have to worry too much about squad depth. He has players that can uh, buy into his ideas right away. What's most frightening about this is, I think we did touch on it last week, we're not going to go into it, is that Atalanta are doing this without their first-choice goalkeeper, Pierluigi Gallini, without Josip Ilicic and without their big attacking signing, um, Moranchuk as well. Rafael Toloi missed the game, having tested positive for the coronavirus, but he did release his own personal statement on Instagram shortly after the game finished, saying that he had initially tested positive on Friday for the virus, but then tested again today sunday and it turned it returned a negative result he's okay and his he posted a little selfie which suggested he was at the training complex alone today doing some work so i don't know what his situation is but um yeah all, all the best to rafa toloi and let's hope he's back on the pitch very very soon just like we wish for for Josip Bilicic recovering from his personal problems as well um it's enough for atalanta i think but yeah on to the next one Udinese nil, Roma won. This was very nearly a very, very Roma performance because they managed to see out a 1-0 win. But, Kev, their greatest danger seemed to be themselves. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, I um I I've seen the highlights, but I caught the I caught the last fifteen minutes of this um after returning from the pub on uh, Saturday night and wish that I'd stayed in the pub fifteen minutes longer because as painful as it was trying to watch Udinese get an equaliser, it was equally as painful trying to watch Roma see out the uh the result and just look like they were gonna make a horrific mistake uh, and collapse and kind of end all hope Roma fans have had the last couple of years of them rejoining the the uh, European elite. What are Roma this season? Probably Champions League hopefuls, but Europa League likelies. Are they likely to reach the Europa League? They've got the talent, but if Dzeko keeps missing chances like he did, uh, you know, and obviously he's suggested that he wants to get away. Um, they, you know, they go, they they get so many new players in key areas, you know, which on paper are, you know, decent additions. You've got Kumbula. Uh, at centre half, Pedro took his goal wonderfully well, um, but they just seem to never sort of make that step where you know they'll, they'll challenge like Lazio challenged last year. I know obviously Roma fans don't want to hear that that it's um, you know Lazio are probably sticking with the squad they've had have have, have made further uh, steps in the right direction, but Roma seem to have a different collection of players every season. I think that holds them back somewhat. Can we give Pedro some love? Because I was actually meaning to do it last week just because I'm very, very happy that he's in Serie A. player that I really like. Obviously, he's got a bit of class about him and he showed it with the, what was a fine goal, Vito. So, Pedro in Serie A, it's, it's quite nice. Yeah, I'm happy to see him in Serie A too. Although he's come to Serie A at the age of 33 and we're not seeing him in his prime like we did at Barcelona and then you know he did work at Chelsea too um, I think uh, he still has the class he still has the skill and it was a fine strike from outside of the box so I think he's a player that can really brighten up Roma's play and with uh, Zaniolo being out for so long I think the likes of uh, Pedro and Henrik Mkhitaryan need to provide that attacking flair for the Giallo Rossi because overall, as uh, Kev was alluding to, just with the chopping and changing of the squads season after season, it doesn't create stability. And then you have players that might have done well at other clubs, but because they just seem so out of place at Roma, all the pressures and the atmosphere are different. Uh, they're not able to repl- replicate the form that they have achieved at uh, other clubs. But, uh, yeah, Pedro 
Petro, I think uh, he can be an important player for Roma. Do you know what? Do you know what I enjoy about Pedro? And he's no doubt made a lot of money and had some quite um, rewarding moves. But he seems to leave clubs or move to clubs so he can play football. You know, it would have been easy for him to stay at Barcelona and be a bit part player. But he seemed to go to 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 the Premier League for a new challenge, naturally, where there were first team opportunities to him for him. Sorry, and. Um, you know, and he's kind of left Chelsea where he wasn't getting game time and he's gone to a league for another new challenge, but also where he knows he can make an impact and where he'll probably play a lot. And I think that's um, that, that's nice in the modern era. It is quite nice, isn't it? And I mean, it's not a bad place to go for a year to, to that city and this country, um, despite you know, all of its many, 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 many flaws, uh, some of which we've seen and discussed to death this evening. But no, it, it is quite nice. But speaking about Roma, we've got a situation now which is quite unusual because I would imagine a lot of people will listen to this after the transfer window has closed. But Paolo Fonseca said again that he really wants Chris Smalling to return. It's rare for a coach to specifically come out and name a player that he wants and almost tell the club to go and sign him. We've gone on for a few weeks now. Roma have apparently bid 15 million euro to sign him. Manchester United 120. Vito, does this show that Roma aren't being, I mean, does it pose questions about them? Should they not just go and say 20 million euro, okay, Chris Smalling, come back. The coach wants you. You've done well for us. Here you go. I'm not going to single out Roma, to be honest. I think uh, this is symptomatic of Italian clubs in the last 10 to 15 years, if not longer. I must be thinking to myself that... uh, the English clubs, they must really hate doing transfer deals with Italians because the Italian directors, they keep on wanting to bargain down all the time. You would have thought that after the initial loan, they would have said, this is the figure, we'll pay the figure if we want it permanently, and that's it. But it's like, you know, Ed Woodward, the Glaze, Glazers, uh, they are they, uh, wanting the 20 million euros. Roma's like, nah, even with the Friedkin family coming in, they still want to bargain down. So between the new owners and the directors, it's like the Giallo Rossi, they still want some sort of discount, whether it be his age or his contract. Uh, who knows? But, uh, yeah, I do think uh, Roma needs to bring him in because he did have a great season last season. I was really impressed with him. And uh, considering they've got young defenders like Ibanez, who, in fact, had a top game against Udinese, uh, Kumbula was a revelation last season. And look, Mancini, he did not have the best season last year, but we saw what we could do when he was at Atalanta. Uh, they're all three excellent young defenders. I think uh, Smalling going there would add some experience. And without sounding stereotypical or cliched, um, it's easy for the British pundits or the EPL fanboys to say that certain players don't suit the pace and physicality of the English game. I think it could be easy for Italians to say that someone like Smalling would not have suited the tactical and technical nature of Italian football. But I think Smalling has shown that he can thrive Mm. in the more lower tempo and far more organised ways of the Italian game. Yeah, well, he was excellent for the first, what, four months of last season. He did. It's worth noting, he did dip a little bit towards the end of the season, but he showed 
enough quality. I mean, he, he's a good player. He seemed to fit in well there, and he loved it. I remember speaking to him about a year ago now, and he was very, very happy in Rome. So you can imagine he'd be more than willing to come back. One little strange thing that happened here was was after the game again we're going to social media because Lorenzo Pellegrini posted an Instagram story with the um the shushing emoji the emoji with the guy holding his finger to his lip in that traditional gesture Kev this was a bit weird wasn't it because I mean he has been poor for a while and he seems to be suggesting that people don't have the right to to criticize him when he's being poor yeah, I think there's lots of scenarios where you're best off just saying nothing. Um, you know, you know, it's, it's, you get into a debate over are the fans right to criticise them, you know, and you know, troll them, whatever else we want to determine it by. But you know, players don't help themselves by then putting controversial posts out. Um, you know, things like this. You know, you still you don't. You can't um, say it's correct for people to sort of send abusive responses to that sort of thing, but you you just wonder who's advising these players. Yeah, you would. And it, it seems a case of a... At least we know that Lorenzo Pellegrini is responsible for his own social media accounts now, uh, because this only happens on the accounts that are run by the players themselves. But look, we'll move on. We will move on. Milan played Spezia, and it didn't look like it was going to go Milan's way until Hakan Chalonoglu came off the bench, basically. And in the second half, they scored three goals. Rafael Leao scored twice. Teo Hernandez got the other in between Leao's two. And it was a comfortable, in the end, I suppose, Vito 3-0 win for Milan. Yeah, well, certainly it's important for them to keep getting the points on the board. And also with uh, Zlatan not being back yet, I think any win that they can get at this stage is a real bonus. Uh, As we discussed several times on the podcast last season, it just the difference between Milan with Zlatan and without him is so different. So for Leal to uh, contribute with a brace and uh, to win by three goals, even though it's against a promoted side, I think it's important that obtaining these results can help Milan stay in the European spots. Uh, it would be good for their confidence. And uh, if they can keep winning games without Ibrahimovic in the team, I think it's better for them uh, as the season progresses. So when he is fit and he's able to play, uh, the Rossoneri can potentially be a more dangerous proposition. Brian Diaz, Vito, started as the uh, the number 10, well, in the number 10 role. And I saw a lot of people comparing him, maybe not entirely favourably, with um, with Suzo. And I think it's quite an interesting one. Some people were saying that he's just the same as Suzo. Some people saying he's he's an upgrade on Suzo. And, I mean, is there a need to make that comparison? Can he not just be quite a, an exciting young player himself? I think it's important for players to develop their own identity and it's uh, very easy to make comparisons, though. I think these comparisons, they do it more just to provide a sense of, I don't know, imagery or to help enhance the description of a certain player by comparing them to someone else. But 
Um, I think ultimately Diaz needs to carve out his own career. Uh, it's up to the people at the club as well as the fan base to just let him play his game and make his own contributions. And considering that he's only arrived a few weeks ago, I think uh, any criticisms would be very, not immature, but uh, premature, actually. So I don't think uh, he should be criticised too soon and uh, he needs a few more games to really get the feel of the Italian game and also be able to bring what he offers to the table. Kev, I've got kind of a two-parted question coming up for you. You look at this Milan team, right? You've got Gianluigi Donnarumma, um, Gabi Oteo Hernandez, Tonali, Salamakas, Brahim Diaz, Rafael Talao, and Colombo up top. That's a very, very young team. And they got a 3-0 win. So there's got to be some excitement there. That's part one. And then part two of the question is, how important has the signing of Simon Kier been because of that? He's, he's there to help these young players through. Yeah, so it's interesting one where you come on to the age. Because I found myself getting quite frustrated with the, um, the commentators uh, on the, the, the coverage that I was watching. So they, I think there were, and I might be getting this wrong, but of the front four, I think there were 18-year-olds and a 21-year-old, you know, roughly. And they spent at least 10 minutes going over the, um, the, the transfer strategy of Milan to go young, you know, exciting talents, which they all are. But I kind of sat there thinking, Ibrahimovic is out, Rebic is unavailable, Romagnoli is unavailable. While there may well be a sort of a strategy to, to purchase young, a lot of this is comes out of circumstance. Mm. You know, whether that's the players you're putting on the pitch or whether those that you're signing, it's because you cannot get, if you like, ready-made players, you know, because you've not got the finances or you're not in the top tier of Italian football, and also the available players to you because of injury and arguably because you're playing a newly promoted side. So while it's while it's exciting, I just didn't particularly agree with the narrative that that Milan are putting a you know a, a sub 24 year old team together because they do rely a lot on Ibrahimovic when he's in a team and that moves on to your second part of the question where they you know where they purposely brought in you know another I was I nearly said aging defender but experienced defender to sort of you know train if you know educate some of these young defenders but the long and the short of it is he'd usually be playing against, playing alongside Romagnoli. You know, whereas you'd expect probably Romagnoli, you know, it would have been nicer if they hadn't brought maybe uh, Simon Kier in. And Romagnoli would be the, the older statesman alongside a young defender. So while it's good and it is excited, and you, you Milan fans should be excited by the, the young talent as opposed to bringing in journeyman sort of veterans, um, they, they need a balance there. Okay, sorry, Milan. I uh, tried. Trust me. Tried. Um, anyway, on, on to the next one. We've got to get through these next few games quite quickly. Vito, we'll go to you for Fiorentina Sampdoria because Fiorentina lost to your Sampdoria. Fabio Quagliarella scored another goal. Vito, 
Kev must be getting a squeaky bum already, but Valerio Vera scored what was one of the goals of the, the weekend, actually, to, to win it in the 83rd minute. Oh, yes, that was a lovely goal. And then also, and before that, Quayarella, he did uh, keep his cool and converted that penalty nicely. Um, before I go into the specifics about uh, the goals, uh, just want to say that on social media, a lot of the focus I noticed, especially on my Twitter feed, that there was a lot of criticism of Iacchini as a coach and how he's underutilising this Fiorentina side. And although they're valid points, but I think, um, you know, we still got to give credit to Ranieri for getting his tactics right. He knew that uh, Fiorentina were going to attack Sump. We played with a deep block, mostly a 4-4-1-1. And uh, we were able to be dangerous counter-attacks so although Fiorentina can play some nice football um, I think because Iacchini is very simplistic in his coaching they don't have a Sari or a Spalletti who could really elevate the quality of that Viola squad uh, what the Doriani made the most of it and uh, I think uh, there were possibilities that some maybe could have got a third goal out of it as well as for the goals themselves, Federico Ceccarini was silly to bring down Quayarella like he did. And uh, he took the penalty nicely, Quayarella. Antonio Candreva seems to be fitting in nicely at Samp. He had about three chances to score. And at least he didn't blast the ball high into the sky. Um, his efforts went straight to uh, Bartolomei Drongovsky. So uh, if he can add a bit more power while also maintaining some precision, I think he can be an even more valuable signing for Samp. And Vera to win it, that was sublime. Uh, it was a ball that fell to the goalkeeper, Emil Dero. He cleared it. He became the assist man, which was quite surprising. And that first touch from Vera was very delicate in itself. And then to chip it up over Drongovsky, that was amazing. So even though our overall play is not overly exciting, like it was under Giampaolo and probably under other coaches, uh, Probably in the last year, we're still able to produce our share of goal of the week or even goal of the season contenders. So I'm very happy for Verre and uh, I hope he can uh, keep progressing down this path because at uh, Verona last season, he played quite well. And even in Serie B as an attacking midfielder with Perugia, he scored a bag of goals. But uh, it was a well-taken goal and uh, hopefully this bites well for the later rounds or the rounds after the international break. Yeah, here's hoping, here's hoping. Kev, do you ever look at a footballer and, and wonder what they're doing in the position they are? And I don't mean on the pitch. I mean, how on earth they have a contract at a club? Has that ever happened to you? Um, well, yeah, quite often. I'm trying to work out who you're... There's two of them. There's one on either team. Um, the first was, was mentioned by Vito, it's Ceccarini. I don't know what he's doing. Fiorentina. I don't know why he keeps playing. And the other is um, someone who I've been meaning to mention every single week to Vito Doria on this podcast. And it's Mr. Berezinski. How on earth is he still playing for a Serie A club? He is a walking on goal. The man is a disaster. Oh. Kev or me? Uh, Because I've got my piece. Yeah, go, go. Okay, I'll say my piece. Look, I'm just surprised myself I haven't dedicated a special veto events for Berezinski because uh, Edgar Barreto was definitely (laughs) 
someone I enjoyed criticizing. I used to criticize Eder a lot before he started to get his scoring run going at Sump about five, six years ago. So he was another one I used to be furious at. But Berezinski, uh, he is one of those guys that that Marco Giampaolo made him look better than what he was. And now that he's gone, I thought Nick, Nicola Murro was bad as a left back without Giampaolo's system. Berezinski, unbelievable. I mean, if we can sell him sometime, that would be great because offensively he's average and defensively he is significantly worse. So right back is the clear weakness for Sump. Okay, I still think... Survival is probably the goal. But uh, if we were to climb high up the table, at least to a mid-table finish or something, even with the likes of Kandreva, Keita Balde and Adrian Silva coming in, I still feel that coach has got to look at some weakness and the clear position is right back. Attack through your left, and if you can do that, um, you'll breach Sump, no worries. I remember when, um, towards the back end of the last season, you, Samp came to Parma. I had a great time. I just watched Berezinski and everything that happened in the game happened where he was. So it was great, very entertaining, but he still drove me mad. And I, I, I wasn't <laughs> supporting Sampdoria that day. There are, there are a few examples, very, very few examples where you hear someone say, I could do better than that. But I know that I couldn't do better than Berezinski. But I think on that day at the Tardini, I could have done as well as him. And I would have been disappointed with my performance at the end of the day. And I'm a terrible footballer. Kev? Yeah, I think um, that's the thing. I think I probably I probably felt like that in my very young years. But having <laughs> be, being lucky to have the opportunity to play against a few players that then made it professional and then ex-professionals that sort of dropped down and played for fun, um, you realise those players that you used to lambast for being mm. terrible are so, so far above the level that you're at that actually I, I try not to criticise them too badly. No, of course, of course. And I do think that is something that people often forget. Even the very worst footballer that you will see in, in Serie C, Serie D, they are so many more times better than you could ever wish to be. And it is something that gets forgotten. But... I don't know. Sometimes people just slip through the net, and I think Berezinski is one of those. <laughs> I don't know. Don't know what's happening there. And obviously, as you said, Visa, the the Marco Giampaolo system seemed to work a little bit better for him, but he's been hanging on there for a while now. And I don't think anybody is under any illusions that he doesn't work. So I don't know why he's still playing. But anyway, Ranieri sees him on a more regular basis. Although maybe that's the problem. Maybe he's just a really nice guy. Ranieri can't. Like Ranieri, everyone loves him, right? Maybe he just can't bring himself to, to dropping him. But anyway, uh, Sassuolo beat Crotone 4-1. Kev, Domenico Berardi, he scored. And Chija Caputo scored twice. And Manuel Locatelli scored. An all-Italian score sheet for the Neroverdi. And should Bobby Mancini just go with Berardi and Caputo up front, put Locatelli in the midfield and just let them have fun? I'm... I struggle with the Berardi argument because he's been at Sassuolo so long. It's whether the Hang system on. now. Sorry, are you gonna are you gonna say on this here pod that Chicho Caputo shouldn't play for Italy? 
No, it's the other way around. That you know, Caputo okay. did it at um, Empoli. Berardi, Berardi, it's it's almost that I want Berardi to leave. You know, as terrible as that would be, but leave to swallow because I just want to see what he would do elsewhere. Um, because you know, you just wonder whether the system suits him. But then that's that's not always the the best thing. You know, stay somewhere, be happy, play the football that you want, get a real fulfilling career. Uh, and there, but um, but but Caputo, why not? Because he he intrigues me. I don't know, I don't think he wows me as a footballer, but you know he's always there. He pops up with the goals. Um, you threw me off with a question because I thought they'd given the goal uh, Berardi's goal to Defrau because it sort of hit his ankle, and it's the stupid sort of decision that they give and take the goal off of Berardi because it was an extremely uh, well. It it looked I think weaker once it had hit his heel. But uh, yeah, I'd certainly give Caputo a run out for, for the national side. Okay, good. Um, yeah, so my campaign, which was for a long time to get Andrea Patani in, the, that's already has moved to Chita Caputo because one, he's playing closer to where I live. Uh, and <laughs> Patania's not playing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah, Patania ruined his career by going to Napoli. So um, sorry, Andrea. I, I still love you deep down, but Chicho's the new man in my heart. Moving swiftly on and I mean swiftly Benevento beat Bologna 1-0 Gianluca Lapadula scored the game's only goal that's the only real point of note that I want to raise and elsewhere the game I was at that's the last one we're coming to Parma beat Alas Verona 1-0 they they scored after 28 seconds and then they didn't score again for the rest of the game so it was a 90 minutes of nothing no I'm joking it was actually quite a, a, a decent game wasn't one to I'd recommend seeking out the 90 minutes of but it wasn't bad Kev yeah I've got it playing oddly in the background because one of the games that I haven't seen and right I'm, I'm getting concerned that this Palmer kit looks far too much like Udinese yeah there's a lot of black going on the, the shoulder pads but it's a very nice kit and I've, I've seen discussions about this on, on Twitter that, trust me the Palmer kit looks so much better in the flesh than it does on TV and in pictures yeah um, walking past the, the store in the city centre and they've got that one and the the fluorescent one, the dark blue with the yellow one, and they're both beautiful kits. And then they've got the other two because they released two away kits ridiculously. Uh, one looks like a Boca shirt and the other is just the reverse of that. So yellow with the blues. Palmer shirts are beautiful this year, just a bit odd. Um, but anyway, they won, maybe it's, finally. Maybe it's this performance as well, but they're just... I'm struggling not to see Udinese on the pitch. Yeah, so uh, help me with this because I enjoyed the game, but I think I enjoyed the game because there were fans there and there was a little bit of an atmosphere and Palmer scored, so you got that. I'm not sure the game was actually that good, but I had a really nice time. It's it's appeared very flat, littered with mistakes from both sides, Mm. which obviously doesn't help a sort of spectacle from a neutral's perspective. Um, Luigi Giuseppe is good, isn't he? Uh, well, I, I saw you you tweet about him keeping them in the game, or maybe that was on our our chat before the game. But I've not come across any of his saves yet. Oh, he he needs a few to. at the end. There are a few in I think the last fifteen minutes where he makes three. I think it is. But um, I was quite pleased because Castro, Dermaku, and Bruno Alves started together at the back. I've been calling out for this for about a year now because that is clearly their best central defensive partnership and they kept a clean sheet. It's not a coincidence. Their first clean sheet 
in 17 matches, which is ridiculous. But Fabio Liverani makes some strange decisions, you know. It's like he wants his teams to not win sometimes because things were going quite well. And then he changed the formation and Palmer just got steamrolled. Fortunately, Louis Giuseppe stepped up. So when you see Abri McCauley come on, Kevin, you see Gagliola come on, um, that's when you know that Louis Giuseppe is going to start making his saves. But something that offended me, Ricardo Gagliola, okay? He's, he's a centre-back slash left-back. Last season, I think he wore the number 28, which I was fine with. He was coming on today, and I was trying to think, who's that? It looks a bit like Cornelius, but Cornelius is already on the pitch. Who's this big guy? Number seven on his back. And then they announced it's Ricardo Gagliolo. Wearing the number seven. Is he okay? Josephs wears eight. Yeah, but Colorado Josephs wears eleven. Collar off. I'm not going to argue with him. Look at him. And Gossens is basically a midfielder, so I can accept that. Ricardo Gagliolo <laughs> is a is a fullback that's not very good going forward. He has no right to be wearing that number on his back. It's a disgrace. And Parma have played a lot with their numbers this year, and they've annoyed me by it because I still don't know who's who. It's <laughs> oh, driving me mad. Anyway, Jovino also drove me mad, but we'll move on. Um, oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. That's all of the games. Which means it's time for the game. Are you ready, guys? You forgot about it, Kev, didn't you? I saw that face. <laughs> no, I, I prepare for this each week with my very first question and working, trying to work out if we're going to double bluff, if we're going right, to... Well, relax yourself. Bluff. Relax yourself, because I do believe um, Vito is... In pole position, Vito won last week. Yes, the Thomas Rincon from Torino. Thomas Rincon, uh, yeah. Yeah, Thomas Rincon was the player. It's a good one, that wasn't it? Very good. Um, yeah. Okay, well, 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 we have another player. We have another player, and Vito Doria, you are in the hot seat. Just so the listeners know, uh, the the boys will ask yes or no answer questions if to discover the identity of a mystery player who is in Serie A at this very moment. Um, if the answer to their question is yes, they continue asking questions. If the answer is no, the question holding power moves over to the other player. It's really not very complicated. Vito, are you ready? Ready as I'll ever be. Well, let's go then. Okay, so my first question is, is this player an Italian? He is Italian. Does he play for a club in the north of Italy? He does not play for a club in the north of Italy. Kev, it's over to you. Okay. Um, Are they an attacker? They are not an attacker. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set a time limit on this. Um, (laughs) From now, if you don't have it within four minutes, I win. So... Go, Vito. Interesting. Okay. Is this player from a club in the south of Italy? Uh, well, that was... Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. You've asked your question. You've asked your question. You're lucky. You the answer is yes. Anyway, Vito, the answer is yes. yes. So you're lucky there. I know what you're thinking. It could have been the middle. But the answer is yes. He is from the south oh, of Italy. So middle. Rome would be the middle. Uh, yeah. 
Okay, so south of Italy. Um, okay, so that leaves at least two clubs. Four minutes, minutes for both of us. <laughs> okay, is this a Napoli player? Not a Napoli player. Uh, 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 do they play for Tone? They do play for Crotone. Right, I think you should really get it now, to be honest with you guys. Well, I'm starting to think now. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, are they? No. Are they a former Atalanta player? They are a former Atalanta player. No. <laughs> no. Okay. So is it Luca Figarini? <laughs> I didn't hear you. Sorry, I was laughing. Uh, Can you repeat? The <laughs> Is it Luca Cigarini? Yes, it's Luca Cigarini. Um, <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what? I... We're going to say the same thing. Go on. Well, the thing was, is that I didn't realise he'd signed. And then I I'll watched tell the you Atalanta skyline. And then when I watched... Um, Jesus, now I even forget where he was last year. Cagliari. Cagliari. Yeah, then I watched the highlights of something else. And they mentioned him again. Yeah. Oh, oh it's because they were playing Atalanta. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, because they were saying that the um, the lad that was playing that probably would be Nangalan if he actually goes back yeah. to Calgary. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's that's why he came into my head. I'll, I'll admit the selection process was not its usual rigorous uh, rigorous self this week. Um, I forgot about the game, and then I heard Luke Tickery mentioned, and I've always loved him, so I decided he, he was going to be Connor. He when? scored against Lazio when we went to that game. He did, yeah. That's where my love for him began. It was a fine half volley. It gave Atalanta a 1-0 lead, I believe. And then oh, that was, Lazio okay. scored a scrappy one in the second half in front of us, as Cigarini had scored in front of us. And then German Dennis scored the winner in, I think, the 79th or the 71st minute. Oh, yeah, that was it. It was 2-1. Yes, it was 2-1. And the rest, as I say, is history. Coming up to the 7th anniversary of that, Kev, 21st of October. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice if we could uh, be back in Italy? You gonna send? I am in Italy. Are you gonna send me a gift? Uh, yes, in return for my Atlanta. Yeah, magnet. do you know what? I do have it here. Actually, um, I have it here, and I just keep not forgetting. Can't be arsed dealing with Italian post offices, so I've not been yet. But look, there's the proof. And had it been any other year, I would have been back at the, uh, the well, the G-Wish, or how we were pronouncing that. Uh, they're going with Gevis, which is Gevis. Yeah. That's not how you pronounce well, G in Italy. One season, I would have saved some money going to the likes of, um, well, maybe maybe the San Siro um, and Amsterdam for European trips. And yet we are stuck in this hell, which is... Um, covid football season we are do you like the magnet it's beautiful it's rubber it is rubber i like a rubber i was walking around the shop looking for the word gomma just to see if i could find it anywhere and i did oh there's the timer you guys won so don't worry about that that would have been a long time wouldn't it minutes yeah i know we haven't we haven't wrapped up as vito has pointed out this is still going to be in the podcast um goodbye bye-bye everyone 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.